So I want to begin with an illustration. This is um, a military-style rucksack. Uh, I'd know it as a, a Bergen. Um, this one doesn't weigh anything. It's just full of sleeping bags and pillows. Um, but uh, soldiers would carry these weighing uh, 30 to 40 kilos. Um, plus they have um, their webbing, series of uh, pouches around the waist or on the chest carrying ammunition and, and uh, other, other things that they might need. Uh, that would be a, an, an extra 10 kilos or so. Of course, they'd be carrying a weapon in their hands. Um, an assault rifle loaded would weigh about 5 kilos or a, a general purpose machine gun would be about 14 kilos. Don't want that blown away. Um, so all in all, soldiers could be lugging around... Uh, 50 to 60 kilos, uh, sometimes a lot more. That's a lot to carry. It's a heavy burden. But everyone has a limit as to how much they can carry. Even people who lug this stuff around for a living have a limit as to how much they can carry. And I want to use this as an analogy for life because sometimes when we're dealing with the stuff that life throws at us, it can feel like we're carrying a heavy burden. And there are different ways that people handle this burden. So there's uh, fight, fright, or flight. Firstly, fight. That's when you look at the burden, you, you weigh it up, and you say, yeah, I can carry this. I can do it. And sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't, because we've all got a limit. And then there's fright. That's when you feel completely overwhelmed at the very thought of carrying it. You kind of go into to a mental paralysis. You can't function. You just can't do it. Lastly, there's flight. That's when you throw your arms up and you say, that's it, I quit. You look at your responsibilities or the weight that you've got to carry, the things that you've got going on. And in some cases, a person might say, well, right, that's it, I'm getting a divorce. I'm going to quit my job. I'm throwing my phone in the lake. I'm out of here. We've all had to carry burdens in life. And so probably we... Uh, all have experienced fight, fright, or flight at some point in our lives. But there's actually a far better way to approach this. Not fight, fright, or flight, but faith. We're going to see specifically how faith is the best strategy for carrying our load. But first, uh, let's try and understand why James was writing about this in the first place. Now, many of you will know that uh, James, the author of this book, was Jesus's little brother, is his half-brother, and he led the first community of Jesus's followers in Jerusalem. And it would seem that he wrote this letter for all Christians everywhere, which of course includes us. But James wrote with a very particular perspective, because the Jerusalem church was heavily burdened. We know from history that they had been through a famine. People had lost their livelihoods. Uh, they were facing poverty, struggling to put food on the table. 
In addition to that, the church was facing fierce persecution. James himself was murdered not long after he wrote this letter. The religious fanatics threw him from the roof of the temple. Uh, the fall wasn't quite enough to kill him, so they gathered round him and stoned him to death. The church paying a heavy price for following Jesus. It was burdened. Excuse me, can I... The church was paying a heavy price for following Jesus. It was burdened. These were difficult times. So James wrote to uh, Christians throughout the Roman Empire who were experiencing similar circumstances. And the first thing that he said to them in this section was be patient. Be patient. Now, if you're going through a really tough time right now, probably the last thing you want to hear is be patient. We are naturally impatient. And that's not surprising because we live in the most fast-paced, impatient society ever. 200 years ago, it took four months to sail from Europe to Australia. Today, we can make that journey in less than 24 hours, just jump on a plane. When I was a child, and for many of you too, um, if you wanted to watch a TV series, you had to wait a whole week to find out what happened next. Now you can binge watch the whole series over a weekend. And what about technology? It saves us time, but it makes us more impatient. Microwaves cook our food in a matter of minutes or seconds, yet we still don't have the patience to let the timer run down to zero. We open the door when it's still on one second. One second! Like we've got to save that vital one second. Or we press the button on the toaster because we think it ought to be done by now and then it pops up, it's just warm bread. So we stick it back down. If you're anything like me, then forget about it and burn the toast. We are hardwired for impatience. And yet James says, be patient. It's like, I, I can't even wait for my toast to pop. And you want me to patiently endure this hellish situation. James says, be patient. And we say, for how long? How long have I got to be patient for? Well, the answer's right there. It says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And you think, well, James wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, and Jesus still hasn't returned. And you're telling me to be patient. In verse 8, he says, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. We are, of course, talking about the time when Jesus returns to make all things new, as he has promised to do. When will that be? We don't know. Now, there might be someone here who's into eschatology. That's the study of end times. So you've plotted all the major world events on a chart. You've figured it out. You know when Jesus is coming back. And you're wrong. People have been making those predictions for 2,000 years, in spite of the fact that Jesus told us that only God knows the appointed time. But still, we might think that near is perhaps not the best word to use 
for an event that is still at least 2,000 years in the future, as it would have been from James's perspective. But our timescale is very short, especially when we're suffering. Uh, Albert Einstein famously said, and uh, you'll excuse the slightly sexist language, but he said, put your hand on a hot stove for a minute and it feels like an hour. Sit with a pretty girl for an hour and it seems like a minute. That's relativity. For us, even a minute can seem like a long time. But God's timescale is not measured in minutes and hours, days, weeks, months, and years. God's timescale is eternity. Jesus is coming back, and on the scale of eternity, that's going to happen very soon, and perhaps sooner than we think. James uses the example of a farmer patiently waiting for the land to yield its crop, and just as in nature everything uh, happens uh, in the appointed season, so too with our lives, and so too with God's plan. Life changes, circumstances change, and ultimately the whole of creation will be changed. It'll be made perfect. Life changes. Today we're baptizing Alexander and Nathaniel. When I came to this church five years ago, Lee and Lyndall were in the middle of a a very uh, painful and difficult journey. They desperately wanted a child, and they weren't able to have one. Now they've got two. I'm sure there would have been times when they felt that that burden was too great, that the journey was too difficult. But their patience and perseverance, their forbearance, has seen them through to a very different situation. So life changes. doesn't always change in the way that we might hope, but there is an appointed season for everything. But more importantly, the world will be changed. History is not just trundling on endlessly and aimlessly. There is a point to all this. There is a purpose. And history is moving towards the decisive moment when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. So we are to remain patient and wait for God to do what he has promised to do according to his perfect plan and timing. But the big question for us is how do we cultivate patience when we feel like life's burdens are just too much for us to carry? James gives us uh, one example of how struggling under a heavy burden can manifest itself in unhealthy ways. In this case, grumbling against each other. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you a question. When you feel burdened, stressed, and overwhelmed, are you easy to get on with? Let's say, easier than normal. No way! When we're heavily burdened, the stress, the pain, the frustration, the impatience has to find an outlet, and that can be very damaging for our relationships. Imagine putting a a camping gas canister onto a fire. You know what's going to happen? Obviously, eventually, it's going to explode. And when we're carrying a heavy burden, we can be a bit like that camping gas canister, though depending on our personality, it might be more of a a seep than an explosion. But the pressure's got to get out somehow, and so we need a release valve. 
The problem is uh, a lot of people have release valves that are either unhealthy and or ungodly. Alcohol, drugs, food, unhealthy relationships, things that we shouldn't be looking at on the internet. I'm trying to keep this PG. Gambling, anger. Now, some of those things might not be bad in themselves. There's nothing wrong with food, but it's not a good release valve. Actually, we need three release valves. Emotional, spiritual, and physical. Emotional, that's having someone to talk to, someone you can trust. A godly person who won't judge you, who won't try and give you loads of advice, who won't throw Bible verses at you, someone who will just listen to what you have to say. That's an emotional release valve. Then there's the spiritual release valve. That's worship and prayer, reading our Bibles, connecting with God, pouring our hearts out to God, allowing God to speak into our lives and standing firm on his promises. That is a a spiritual release valve. And I think we also need a physical release valve. You know, go for a walk, get out for a run, do a sport. Um, For me, if I'm really stressed, I get on one of those static rowers and I'll row five kilometers as fast as I can. And at the end of it, I literally fall off the rower gasping for air. Um, But I feel much better for it, emotionally, if not physically. If we don't release the pressure in a positive and controlled way, it gets released in a way that can be very damaging to ourselves, to the people around us, and to the unity of the church. And this is James's example, isn't it? The unity of the church, that grumbling that was happening um, in certain areas of the church because of the intense pressure and persecution and, and struggle that they were facing. So firstly, we need a release valve, emotional, spiritual, physical. And secondly, it helps if we've got an example of someone who has persevered. Uh, people have shown forbearance. And when we talk about the fruits of the Holy Spirit and we talk about patience, that word is better translated forbearance, uh, which is the translation that we get from our NIV, uh, New International Version. And James gives his readers two examples from the Old Testament. Firstly, the prophets. Okay, thank you, Give on. Yeah, just. Firstly, the prophets who spoke out against idolatry and injustice and were ill-treated and persecuted as a result. And yet they continued to proclaim God's word, no matter what pressure they were under. Uh, Then he mentions Job, who is the archetypal carrier of heavy burdens. Job was a man who had everything. He had health, wealth, property, flocks, herds, a big family. He didn't want for anything. And then through a series of disasters... He lost absolutely everything, including his 10 children. Even his wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, if I was going for a really tough time and Tissa gave me that advice, I wouldn't feel particularly encouraged. And Job does question God, but ultimately he maintains his relationship with God. In fact, these are Job's words. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
May the name of the Lord be praised. Now to us, that seems like a superhuman level of forbearance uh, in the face of the most terrible suffering. But now we get to the crux of the matter. Because the kind of forbearance that we're talking about today doesn't just come from having the right release valves, as helpful as that is. Nor does it just come from following the example of certain people from the Old Testament, although we might do well to do that. Patience or forbearance is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's something that grows in one's life as a result of having a relationship with Jesus. And as Christians, the aim of our lives is to become more like Jesus. If Job suffered through no fault of his own, how much more so did Jesus? Jesus is the perfect example of forbearance. He endured ridicule, scorn, humiliation, excruciating pain, and he suffered an ignoble death. And all the while, he had the power to bring his suffering to an immediate stop. But he didn't do that because he knew he had to take the mess and the muck and the filth and the sin of this world upon himself. He had to take responsibility for all of it. And he did it so that you and I can have a relationship with God that lasts forever. No one's ever carried the load that Jesus carried. Jesus has carried our load, the full weight of our sin, because he knows that we can't. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Jesus says this. I've read it once already today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you ever feel weary or burdened? Are you struggling? Has life dealt you some heavy blows? Do you feel overwhelmed by your responsibilities or personal circumstances? Are you anxious about the future? Now, someone here might say, well, you seem to be describing a very weak and needy person. No, I'm describing a very human person. All of us at some point in our lives will feel that we can't cope because the burden is too great. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He won't take our load from us, but he'll help us to carry it. He'll lighten it. He'll give us rest. And he'll walk with, some, uh, walk with us as someone who understands our suffering. Isn't it amazing that we worship a God who knows what it is to suffer? When we're going through the mill, Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. What's more, putting our trust in Jesus brings new purpose and meaning to our lives. The well-known atheist Richard Dawkins would tell us that there is nothing in the universe but blind, pitiless indifference. If that's true, then there will come a point where all hope is finally extinguished forever. But isn't there something deep within us that tells us that that isn't so? That's not the way it is. Your life has meaning and purpose and eternal significance. 
raising these boys, Alexander and Nathaniel, to know and love the Lord has eternal significance. Knowing all this to be true will strengthen your forbearance more than anything else. There is a purpose to our suffering. Romans 5, verses 3 to 4 says this, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. That's not an abstract statement. That was written by a man who was literally about to be martyred, thrown off the roof of a temple. All followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that that God's Spirit is living within us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, our suffering can actually become the means by which we are gradually transformed into Jesus' likeness. A lot of the time, we can't take control of what's happening around us. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to change what's happening within us. The Holy Spirit gives us forbearance. When I was writing this, my thoughts turned to Graham and uh, uh, Graham Reed, and uh, I've asked permission to, to say this. Uh, but many of you will know that Graham goes for dialysis three times per week. Uh, that's uh, a burden for Graham to bear. But you know what? When I speak with Graham, he talks to me about the music he loves. Bing Crosby. He talks to me about the Bible study that's encouraged him, the wonderful things that he's experienced in life, his hopes for the future, and his love for the Lord. It's so encouraging to have such a strong example of forbearance. And there are actually many people within our church that uh, really inspire me in similar ways. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. There is a reason. There is a purpose. There is a hope. And it's an eternal hope. And while we have life, we have the opportunity to have our characters shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what we're experiencing and no matter how heavy the burden we're bearing. May the fruit of forbearance continue to grow in each of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that life is not easy. Uh, sometimes it can be a massive struggle and we don't even know how uh, we can cope with all that we've got uh, happening. But we recognize that you call us to you as one who will lighten our load, who will take our, our burden, share our burden. And we recognize, Father, that uh, you have you have taken the full burden, the full weight of the sin uh, that separates us from God, from you. And so we pray, Lord, that um, you will help us to recognize your work in the world and in our lives, and you'll help us to desire more than anything else to be changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, your Son. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.